This episode is in partnership with Roomvo. Roomvo is the number one room visualization tool used by manufacturers, retailers across the globe. To find out more information, visit get.roomvo.com. Welcome to the UK Flooring Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure in having a good chat with Catherine Helliger. Um, she's the marketing manager from Dan Floor that are based down in Bristol. So thank you very much, Catherine, for joining me Thanks today. Um, let's start with um, who is Catherine Helliger? So um, as you said, I'm the marketing manager at Dan Floor UK. Um, I've been with the company now for about 14 years and I manage all aspects of their marketing from writing literature to social media and events. Um, But when I'm not at work um, at home, I'm a mum to two uh, boys um, and a sports mad, well, he likes watching sport (laughs) rather than taking part, but a sports mad husband. So yeah, my life revolves around um, football watching, uh, cricket watching, Formula One, you know, you name it met any sport um yeah well, your boy's sport. very sporty as well um one of them is one of them's a goalie uh, a cricketer he's a great spin bowler and the other one just likes saving the world on his computer so snap um... i have two exactly the same so my eldest is just again saving the world on his computer and my youngest who's six he he's a, he's a goalie as well and he absolutely yeah. loves his football well they both love their football so it sounds like a mirrored image of my household <laughs> yeah. you know what it's like i do, I do. exactly um, that. rain and dirt <laughs> yeah spinning plates and and yeah. Um, yeah, backwards and forwards from football pitches on a weekend and trying yes, yeah. to then um, balance a full time job as well at the same time. Yes, so, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So give me a little bit of background about Danfloor. Who are you? I mean, I, um, I I think I've seen somewhere that the company was started in 1973. Is that is that right? So, yeah, we started actually our Danish um, counterpart started 50 years ago. Um, So a little bit longer than we've been going in the UK. So um, we started as commercial uh, carpet manufacturers over in Denmark 50 years ago, named EN Carpets at the time. Um, And then after about 10 years of being quite successful over in Denmark, the wife of the then owner decided that she wanted to take the company to the UK. Um, so back in 1973, she um, brought together about seven products um, and went to a, a little flooring show called Harrogate yeah. <laughs> and, and launched EN Carpets uh, to the UK markets. Um, and well, basically over the next 40 years, uh, we've developed um, into a new brand, Danfloor UK. Um, 2002 saw another big milestone for us where we became part of the Ulster Group of Companies who wanted to break into the tufted carpet market. Yeah. Um, so we're part of the bigger group, the Ulster Group. Um, and yeah, so 40 years on in the UK, we've grown the product range, um, offering lots of different products from entrance matting to carpet tiles and broadening carpets. Um, yeah, we're still going strong 40 years on. Wow, that's a great story. And the, um, the 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 majority of your work is that in um, the commercial sector. So you've got healthcare, um, mental health, communal housing, commercial buildings, education, leisure facilities. That's the real background. Or do you do domestic 
carpets as well we don't do domestic carpets now yeah. the majority of our business is commercial and as you say we cover so many market sectors these days we're very well known in healthcare we've got a you know a good strong foot in the healthcare market but because of the product features and because of the variety of products we now offer uh, we stretch through lots of different market sectors as you say from education to offices mental health um, leisure facilities so small hotels so yeah Wow. Okay. And the, and I think when I was reading up about you and doing my research as well, I was reading about biome technology. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I was like, you can get carpets that are able to withstand like SARS and the COVID-19. Yeah. I hadn't even even thought about that before. Is that something unique to Danflor or is that something that is industry-wide? Because I'd really like to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, so it, it's um, an very intelligent um, coating on the carpet fibres. Um, it's not something that's new, unique to Danfloor, um, but is one. I mean, we actually introduced this um, many, many years ago. So before COVID, um, we saw that there was a need to actually provide um, an intelligent flooring system that could obviously help people um, with infection prevention and control, especially as the, the key market sector that we're in is healthcare, which is care homes. So yeah, this coating is permanent. Um, it acts a little bit like a sword. So it attracts all the bugs and bacteria to the carpet and then punctures the cell membrane. And it basically renders it inactive. So it can't repopulate. It can't cause any damage to you know people who come into contact with it. And the um, kill rate that it's actually got is actually stronger than the hand gels that we've all been putting on for the last few years to try wow. and keep it safe from COVID. So yeah, it's got a very good strong kill rate and it's permanent so as long as you've got the carpet on the floor it gives you that level of protection that is absolutely amazing I hadn't even I honestly hadn't even thought that that kind of technology existed and it was only until I started reading about it that I thought wow that is such a really good idea and when I think back about you know even domestic homeowners um you know they are sometimes carpets can be quite dirty beasts can't they and they often need cleaning over and over again to try and keep them looking their best but sometimes when you actually start cleaning a carpet it then makes the staining and things worse so could this technology be introduced or is it introduced already to domestic markets or is it just on these type of these type of carpets I mean, the technology itself has been introduced across lots of different textiles. I couldn't say if they it is present in the residential um, carpets that are available on the market at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of big misconceptions about carpets being harbourers of dirt and bugs. I mean, any flooring um, that isn't clean properly Um you know, will harbour all these dirt and, and yeah. nasties that could be transferred to to people's hands. I mean, there there were, has been an example that we've come across where um, a care group brought in a cleaning company that we work with to clean their hard floors. Mm-hmm. And after they had finished the job, they um they said, "Well, where's the, the little black dot that's part of the pattern?" And the, the company who came in to clean said it wasn't part of the pattern. That was just dirt on the floor that was ingrained. Wow. Um, so. And also, you know, you get tracking in from hard surfaces to carpet that, you know, can yeah. make carpets look, you know, grubby. But as I say, with any surface, you have to keep it 
clean and maintain it mm -hmm. so i mean the antimicrobial treatment it's not a self-cleaning uh, coating yeah. i mean that'd be yeah. fabulous if it was um but yeah we just say in conjunction with a good cleaning and maintenance schedule you know the carpets shouldn't be be thought of to have any detrimental effect on anyone's health or be a source or reservoir for bugs and bacteria yeah, and I would I would have thought that using kind of heavy scrubbing machines and things like that on the carpets would remove that um, remove that biome technology off the top, and, and I'm guessing it just it doesn't it just stays there as a permanent it's kind of inbred into the, the, the treatment we use is permanent. There are some that actually when they come into contact with a bug or bacteria they leach from the surface that they're on. So mm. uh, as a way of killing those bugs and bacteria, they leave the carpet fiber and they encapsulate it and then kill the bug or bacteria but ours is actually permanent so it stays there and it'll stay there for the life of the carpet wow okay and what is the general life of the carpet so is that really hard to say uh again it just depends what the footfall's like um how people maintain it but we provide our carpets with at least a 10-year wear warranty wow. so as long as you are maintaining those carpets you know they should last at least 10 years if not more we tend to find that people if they're replacing our carpets, it's doing it based on a change of trend or a, a change of decor inside rather yeah. than the fact they've been worn out or are so soiled that they just want to rip them out and replace them because, mm -hmm. yeah, they just last. It's funny that you say about misconceptions because obviously that was my misconception that everything like carpets just grab hold of all the, all the dust. My um, my youngest son has um, a really significant, um, what do you call it? Uh, He's allergic, allergic, that's the word I was looking for. He's got a severe allergy to dust mites, mainly okay. found in carpets and soft furnishings. So anywhere we go where there's carpets now, he's like, I can't, I can't touch the carpets. I can't roll around on the carpets. He gets it, you know, if he's at school and he's sitting on the carpet or laying on the carpet or anything, he gets it on his arms where yeah. his arms come out in rashes and then he starts touching his eyes and things. And it's really, it's really sore for him for when he does that. Um, do any of the, does that, does the biome technology help against dust yeah, mites? Yeah, so it, it helps to kill the dust mites oh. as well. So it protects against that. But um, it's funny that, that, again, another misconception that people have is that if you have carpets, it's bad for allergy sufferers. And mm. I can understand with the dust mites and being in, in close yeah. contact with surfaces like that. But actually, carpets trap and retain dust. So whereas on a hard surface floor, the dust particles remain on the surface of the floor. I mean, I don't know if you, you, anyone's got a cat or a dog or a long-haired person living in their house, but if you look at your kitchen floor, where I guess you've got a hard surface flooring, all those hairs and, I don't know, uh, crumbs from your toast, <laughs> yeah, they kind of sort of like circulate in a corner. And then when you open a door or um, a cupboard door or a window, those particles then um, circulate on the surface of the floor. Mm -hmm. um, with dust, because dust is a lot um, lighter, the dust can come up into the breathing zone and then be inhaled. Mm -hmm. Now with carpets, the carpet will actually trap and retain those dust particles until you hoover them away. Oh. So actually we say that for allergy sufferers and those with breathing difficulties, um, asthma, um, and things like that that actually if you have a carpet and studies there's lots of studies worldwide that have shown this that actually having carpet can improve the indoor air quality 
quality because it's trapping and maintaining those dust particles. You hoover them away and they're not an issue. Whereas on hard surface floors, they begin to circulate, they aggravate when there's a through floor there and it goes, comes up into the breathing zone and aggravates your breathing way. So yeah, there are <laughs> two sides to every soul room. Did you know what? That would be a really good conversation between the hard floor guys and the car and, and people. <laughs> like, Get us in a room. A floor off. <laughs> kind of thing because yeah. Yeah. you always see it don't you in marketing messages then um, that you know the, the hard floor guys will say much um you know much more efficient for the home and um it's much more healthy and all of that kind of stuff and the marketing messages always clash and no wonder people obviously they you know consumers look at things online and ask google you know what's best hard floor or carpet yeah. for an allergy supper and then they get completely confused because there's two very important views yeah, and there's so much research out there that, you know, supports either message. And, you know, I find research that says it takes two and a half times longer to clean a hard floor than a carpet. Mm -hmm. And the chemicals needed to clean a hard floor are seven times more expensive than a carpet. So if you think about people who are running businesses such as care homes, when they're looking at time saving, um, money saving um, elements, they kind of think, well, carpet's actually cheaper to clean properly. And it's less expensive. So, you know, which option am I, am I going to go for? So, oh, no. yeah, lots of mixed messages. It, it's a <laughs> message, and I love a good floor off. It's really good because you even have the same with, you know, the LBT and LBP guys. And then you've got the same with the wood people and the carpet. But everybody has like their own messages, don't they? And um, yeah. yeah, it can be confusing. So, no, I like that. So what's um, what's yeah. happening at, um, at, at Dan Floor right now? Is there anything that's new coming to the market or what's? What's what's in the bag for you at the moment? So yeah, there's there's a, a few things going on uh, for us. So um, quite a few years ago now, I think it's back in 2016, we invested in a color point tufting machine, which um, allows us to do lots more uh, attractive carpets. So have the design element look almost like an Axminster type design. Yeah. Um, so for a while we've been testing its capabilities and now we're really pushing the boundaries of what we're able to produce in that machine mm -hmm. so uh, we launched a concept collection a while ago showing um, in two-tone grey how we can produce some beautiful designs and concepts um, and we're now uh, trialling bringing that to certain areas of our market in terms of a bespoke collection that people can choose from um, suggest different colourways which were with their design schemes or their own branding um, and giving them the option to work with us to obviously design a bespoke range for their company. Mm. Um, I think on another side of the flip side, we're really looking at our environmental impact because um, yeah. obviously that's a massive thing as a manufacturer. Um, and we're working to get environmental product declarations on our products um, because we work with a lot of um, public sector organisations yeah. um, and obviously they are looking to make sure they're producing buildings that um, have a reduced carbon footprint. So we're looking and um, we're running a completion now and having done such environmental product declarations before with different suppliers, we've had actually quite favourable ratings. So we're looking forward to getting those and sharing that with our customers i really like the concept of personalization and it's been really hot hasn't it especially over the last few years where mm. people just want to have that option to personalize their products so there's two ways of, of this so um i think i've picked up and forgive me if i'm incorrect that you're going to possibly be able to um give 
individuals the option to create their own bespoke ranges and their own bespoke colorways is that is that what you're saying or it's more that they can pick and choose what kind of colorways they want in what format and what style I think it's there's going to be a scale of that work so at the moment we've got being part of the Ulster group of companies, they've got um, a massive um, library of designs that we can work with and adapt. So the first stage for us is having that ability to offer a huge library of designs that people can pick from um, and then introduce their own colorways and color combinations um, within the design capabilities that we have and the manufacturing capabilities that we have on this machine. Um, but I think the next stage will be that we can, you know, potentially invite our clients to work with our designers and design patterns um, and go down that route. But, you know, we're, we're, we're very much at the beginning of that story. So we're seeing how it goes and, and how it develops. No, that sounds really exciting. So at the moment, who who is your ideal client? Um, I say anyone who pays their bills, really. I think anyone, um, we do, we work with a lot of big uh, care groups, um, mainly because they've got buildings throughout the UK that we can supply to, but also they they look at the, the flooring, like many people do, from the, the front door to the back door. So we can offer them entrance matting through to beauty beautifully designed carpets for their reception area and um, through to more tonal carpets for those that are living with dementia and can't cope with them um, you know powerful patterns on the floor and things like that which is too distracting um through to offices where we can offer tile products so people who are looking for the whole package you know that we can work with and supply that would you know be our ideal customers but as mm -hmm. I say anyone who's interested in a high performance carpet that um you know can purchase and install it you know is our ideal customer and so can so, so can people buy directly from you or do you just supply directly into distribution people can if they've got the facility to either cut or hold stock they can purchase directly from us mm -hmm. um, or they can purchase through the flooring contractor. I mean, an interesting project which we worked on um, a while back was where we actually supplied the carpet to um, a seating firm. So we were doing a, a big install at um, Sherbourne School. Mm -hmm. They were looking to um, redo all their music facility and auditorium. Yeah. So um, they selected a carpet that they could have on a retractable seating uh, unit within their auditorium and um, so we actually worked with the seating company there we supplied the carpet to them um, and worked with them to supply enough material to fit around things like vents um, and to fit onto the individual uh, retractable seating um, stairways rather um, and um, so yeah we worked and supplied the carpet to them and there remained a lot to the the flooring contractor to install in the uh, classrooms and the music rooms so yeah we can supply to anyone who's able to handle the material really. Wonderful no that's that's really good and what are your favourite products in your range at the moment and why? Um, so within our range, I do love our evolution collection. I think it's um, it's the pattern, more patterned designs. So we have some very subtle designs such as Manhattan and Glaze um, through to a more um, extravagant designs such as Forest, um, Chevron and Watercolour. So um, they are beautiful. And when you see that, when you see them as a small sample, you think, oh, I'm not sure, you yeah. know, that would 
But when you see them fitted in these beautifully designed schemes, they're absolutely lovely. But um, I also like our, our wall mix products that we've got. So um, they've got more of a residential feel and um, yeah, they've got a lovely um, muted tones to them. So they, they fit well within bedroom schemes and, and schemes where interior designers want to do really impressive design schemes, having something more muted on the floor helps to support yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And I'm guessing for you being marketing manager that seeing seeing products in a larger format and seeing it with the imagery in particular, that's really critical for you to even understand the product and what the product looks like. So let's talk about marketing then. So because you've you've been as you said you've been marketing manager there for 14 is it 14 years 14 years now yeah okay. all right so obviously things have changed in the marketing world since then so it'd be really useful I think for um our listeners as well to have your take on on marketing and what that looks like for you give me an idea of the kind of activity the day-to-day activities that you do at Dan Floor um and what your favorite parts of that are yeah, so I think, um, as you say, they have changed um, drastically over the last few years because obviously the pandemic um, took us to a place where, you know, where if we were doing press advertising, those magazines were falling on empty desks, particularly yeah. as we are marketing to businesses rather than um, individuals. Um, again, a lot of things move from press to online. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it kind of maybe fast forwarded the industry to going more online to source their news to source uh, information about what was going on um, in the industry um, a massive thing for us now is social media um, I think again the, the pandemic um, accelerated that growth in our our market really people were using the so various social media channels to communicate to stay in contact with people and actually if you're maintaining a constant presence um, on those channels and putting things in a way that people want to consume your yeah. what you're mm-hmm. saying, um, people will engage and interact with you. And you can do that all for free. So at a time when budgets were really tight and you couldn't do, you know, big advertising campaigns, social media was a real um cost-effective way of communicating um, and engaging with your with your customers and I think research has come out now that suggests that the younger generation actually use the likes of TikTok and YouTube um to Google things so they're not using Google they're using (laughs) TikTok and YouTube to source products so I think if you're um marketing direct to customers and you're trying to attract a younger audience and definitely social media is um one of the the avenues that you should be investigating and working mm-hmm. on and as i say we do a lot with business to business so linkedin is a massive um yeah. area for I us mm-hmm. um and we're starting to get back into events now so planning and managing events at okay. down floor um and a, a massive part of um, the work that I do here is researching into the importance of carpet and articulating that and communicating that in a way that our clients and customers understand and writing yeah. press articles that explain the benefits and using hard data to back up my facts. So, yeah, that's a, a big part of my job as well. And also the research that I do helps us with product development and looking at new okay. uh, initiatives. Initi- initiatives and new designs that um might be um loved 
by our customers. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds really that sounds really interesting. I hadn't even thought about that connection between you re- you researching the products and the product that you've got, and the benefits of it to sell it to your target market, and then how that's going to then eventually give you the the tools to be able to develop your product. I hadn't even made that connection between that. Um, so that's really yeah, really it's a massive interesting. connection between marketing and product development and 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 sales so yeah marketing is an integral part of all those functions of a business so yeah it's As, one um, thing I, I mean we we have to you have touched on this a little bit that um I, i'm suspecting that your go-to social media platform if you had to choose one for b2b would be linkedin mm-hmm, yeah yeah and um, I'm guessing, do you have, um, so the people that work um, for Danfloor, um, do you support them with developing their own personal identities on behalf of Danfloor? And then you also have a company page for Danfloor, would that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's important, particularly on LinkedIn, to have a brand presence. Um, but obviously, people from a business to business um, selling channel, they use their own personal um thoughts and processes to make their business buying decisions so it's paramount importance that your salespeople also have a personal presence on there because people relate to people and even though it's um an online function and online selling people still want that personal touch so you will find that people will connect with the person they will engage with that person they'll generate a relationship with that person and then they'll go on to support the company page um so yeah it's it's a it's a process that you need to nurture and generate um and build on um but yeah so it's important to have that personal presence and that brand presence okay and what would be your top two tips for anybody that hasn't got a business page on linkedin yet and um to be able to get them going what are the two top things that you would advise them to do so I would initially advise them to um, build a strong uh, personal page because, as I say, that people relate to uh, the individual um, and they will build that relationship with the individual. Um, I would then suggest building the company page. But one thing I is a pet hate of mine, um, yeah. and I think a lot of people get aggravated by this, is that if you're reaching out to somebody to make a connection, mm um don't just send a connection request send a connection request with a note saying that we have mutual interests we have mutual connections um i think it would be great if we could connect so that i could learn more about you and what you do and then if you do get that connection request don't just start sending them sales messages yeah engage with that person comment on their posts um say you like the work that they're doing, um, support what they're doing, so that when you do eventually send them a salesy type message, um, they recognize your name, they've warmed up to you, they're engaged with you, um, they'll be more likely to pick up on your your offer if you're offering them a service, um, a download, you know, reduction on carpet fitting, whatever it may be, they're more likely to engage with that sales message if you've warmed up and developed a relationship and nurtured that relationship mm-hmm. uh, through your personal um, LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So it's one of my pet hates as well. Absolutely <laughs> hate it. Absolutely. Someone sent me a connection request, and actually, I had one recently that said something like, um, 
It's um, Hi, Sarah. I wondered if it would be possible to connect with you. Um, I've got a range of finance options that I think would be perfect for XYZ business. Um, and I think and, you, and you're already pre-qualified to, um, to take them. I was like, well, you've completely not understood me off to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, thank you. And I don't need any finance. Um, thank you very much by this time. And you get and I get them all the time. And it's just really off-putting. It really is. And I think I've probably got about 40 um, um, connection requests that I just haven't. And every now and again, I'll just be like, delete, 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 delete. Yeah. I know it's not genuine. I would rather only have genuine connections. Um, some of the best ways in which I've found people connecting with me personally is actually by using the, the voice note function. I yes. absolutely love it when you actually take the time to spend a little bit of time just recording a personalized voice note for somebody and sending that through as a genuine request for um for connection. Um yeah. you know, even if it's just say hi, we've got to say we've got some mutual connections, it'd be really great if we could meet up for a coffee sometime. Yeah. That's it. That's all that you take. Uh, yeah, and it's it's different, isn't it? People are like, oh. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. Oh, hello. Yeah, I'll connect with you. And then you develop that relationship and then eventually get to the stage of selling and offering your product benefits or service that you're offering. So, yeah, as as you say, it's a nurturing, isn't it? So It is. It is. And it's one of the reasons I stay away from LinkedIn, to be honest, quite often is because I just get... It's too much. Yeah, it's too much. Too overwhelming. Um, So give me um, a bit of background on Instagram because... Again, a misconception of Instagram is that it's not that great for B2B. Um, What are your thoughts on that? So I think it depends uh, which businesses you're selling to. So we do have an Instagram presence. It's probably not as active as our LinkedIn, but we um, do a lot of work with interior designers. And obviously interior designers are very visual. Um, They're very active on Instagram. It's a good way of them uh, showcasing the work that they're doing. Um, So in terms of talking to that sector of the market we find instagram um, and pinterest uh quite good for that element yeah no exactly and do you use facebook at all we do um but it's not massive for us it's um again if people are searching it all helps with the search engine optimization if you do have a facebook presence mm-hmm. um but generally it's you know we kind of post on there get a little bit of interaction but it's not something we invest a lot of our time in yeah but then again if you're marketing to consumers customers directly to them Facebook is a massive way to generate a community and engagement Mm -hmm. no I agree and what do you think is the best marketing tool tool you've got in your toolbox right now um well when I knew you were going to ask me this question I was trying to think of all these different strategies for this and that and everything and I just thought actually one tool that I use most days um that I had to use as a result of the pandemic because I I didn't have access to my graphic designer is actually Canva it's it's a great tool Uh, they offer a, a fantastic free service so you can upgrade and get access to more images and templates and things like that but their basic free package is absolutely fantastic for developing a suite of literature uh, developing your own brand it's really easy to use so if you're starting out you could literally go on there design yourself a logo design yourself a leaflet a flyer design yourself social media posts and it looks really professional and I think you can you know do a whole um, tied up package through Canva so I'd say that's probably a great little tool to use 
And yeah. I'm not endorsed by Canva in any way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I too love Canva and I'm not endorsed by them either. <laughs> for the same for the same reason, I just think it's got some phenomenal tools on there. And and it's easy to use and easy to navigate. Yeah. Once you've done it a few times and you know and you've got a basic idea of what it is that you're looking for. What I really love about Canva is that you can create your own themes as well. So once mm. you bottom out your brand identity, so you're looking at um, your colours, your typeface how things you want to look um you can almost you can set your branding your brand guidelines in there yeah. as well which i think is a really useful tool um mm-hmm. which is perfect for other people to be able to use is there is there one thing at the moment that you see all the time in the flooring industry that you think will you just stop doing that or is there something that you think that's just not working um yes. oh. <sighs> So obviously I've, I've touched on kind of like the, the LinkedIn and, and direct selling. Um, oh, it's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I think I, I love it and I hate it at the same time. I think uh, whenever I'm um, flicking through the CFJ and I come across Cloud9's adverts where they're still scantily cladding women um, oh. <laughs> in, in their adverts, I kind of think, you know, you it's great you're talking to your audience you're appealing to the majority of your audience but I'm like oh come on you know mm-hmm. should you be still doing that in this day and age but and there we go that's my own personal there's preference a lot more, there's a lot more of us women in this flooring industry now isn't there there certainly are <laughs> no yeah I know that they should be looking to do some different tactic I don't know but yeah I think I certainly is like as well um and it was it, I can't remember who it was but it was something to do with builders and it was that kind of wolf whistling kind of um, thing against women. And I I actually cringed when I watched it. I think it was something on Instagram and I thought this cannot be real. I'm going to have to find it afterwards and I'll share it with you. Um, And I thought this cannot be real. This has got to be a joke. You cannot, you cannot advertise. Oh no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was um, somebody had put a copy of the the new kind of leaflet that they were sending out to to everybody, and it said something like, um, "Don't you wish that all of your jobs looked like this?" And there was like, a you know, a half dressed woman stood on there and stood in stood in a room with a you know a builder's cap on and things, and it was just like, "Oh God, this is cringe." absolutely um, cringe and yes there's you know I think sometimes the world has gone mad with this you know a lot of the um PC-ness that's kind of going on but I think there is a line there is definitely a line so you have to be very careful don't you in what you say and what you do yeah um, particularly in this day and age and mm-hmm. as you say more women entering the flooring market which is, is great to see and, and, and construction in general yeah there's a lot yeah. of women and good, great female leaders that are now at the top of some very very big commercial construction businesses um mm-hmm. and yeah so it's it's exciting that things have changed over the years with yeah. that as well mm-hmm. what's the most important thing that you have learned over your career uh again I, I think I knew you were going to ask me this question I was trying to think of something really um impactful and really um technical but I think for me obviously from my coming from a marketing background is is something as simple as double checking everything mm-hmm. I mean you're putting all this time and effort into producing whether it's just a social media post or um, an email campaign or a letter that you're wanting to send to someone 
And if you put something slightly wrong, a, a date wrong or a digit wrong or something wrong in an email, um, a URL you want to direct somebody, mm-hmm. somebody to, um, it really produces a, um, a negative impact on the work that you've, you've yeah. spent so long doing. So mm-hmm. even if you just spend 10 minutes double checking something, um, sense checking telephone numbers, um, QR codes work, um, as I say, links work or getting somebody else just to have a quick read through because you can get blind to the work that you're doing, yeah. I think mm-hmm. is a massive thing. And I've learned the hard way. So <laughs> yeah, I'd say just double check everything you do. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously people from the flooring industry are always measuring twice and cutting once. You know, I was so. just about to say that measure twice, <laughs> measure twice, cut once. It's the same old analogy. And even yeah. if you're a floor fitter putting out work and, um, on social media platforms or anywhere your website anything just have somebody else just glance over it because mm-hmm. i think the copy blindness is yes. is is horrendous sometimes because you can be working on a piece of copy or writing something for a website and you're going over it time and time and time again you just don't see the mistakes that any you know somebody else would then pick it up and go well that's a mistake first off you spelt that incorrectly or yeah um but yeah absolutely I think that's and really we all do it you know yeah. it, it ha- I mean it does happen it's human error but as I say when you're spending all that time mm-hmm. producing something and then if you're spending money to print it as well you really want to make a good reflection on yourself mm-hmm. and your brand really and your company so you know yeah. if you can make a mistake in leaflet what mistakes are you going to make on the floor you know mm-hmm. you want that whole mm-hmm. consistency and to, to go through from your initial message to the, the products you're putting on the floor yeah and I think as well even with people that employ um you know marketing companies to do their social media or otherwise it's just making sure that you're also checking what they are putting out making mm. sure that the images are tagged as the right suppliers making sure that anybody that you're mentioning there is tagged as the right company making sure that the text is correct that it's selling the product that you want it to sell it's given the message that you want it to give mm-hmm. um, in fact we had this recently we've got um, um a marketing team that look after our social media and it they, they do so much they do so much work on it that again it's that blindness to it they might, might be writing copy for one thing one day and then something else for the next so they do get you know and quite often we will make we will make mistakes ourselves that things mm-hmm. will go out with the wrong person tagged it happened actually the other day um and mistakes do happen but if you take ownership of that and just yeah. check it before it goes out instead of saying well i'm too busy to do that um, it, it can really have a negative impact on your business if you haven't. So it's really good advice. I really, I, yeah, it, it is impactful. So don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Measure twice, cut once is a perfect option. Yeah, doing that. So I like that. And so let's um, let's talk about you a little bit then. So um, have you, what, what's, what's your day-to-day look like? So when you get up in the morning, what time do you get up? Uh, oh, alarm goes off at about, I don't know, 10 to 6, uh, 10 to 7, sorry. Yeah, not that. <laughs> yeah, first day of bed in the family. Are you a morning person? I am a morning person, right. I, I think, because you've got kids. Well, during the week, I'm a morning person. During the weekend, not so much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, get out of bed, get the kids going. Um, husband's really hand on, hands-on, so he does share a lot of the responsibility there. Look at you. <laughs> um, but I'm the school-run mum, so I think. 
<laughs> so um I yeah drop the kids off at school and I think I'm a bit like a Duracell bunny then until about lunchtime just go 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 and then I think I turn into Spanish calf and a uh, fancy a siesta <laughs> after lunch but you know, in the UK that's frowned upon <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. yeah um definitely a morning person during the week I don't know why that is frowned upon actually because um I saw again it was on TikTok actually going back to TikTok um, I think it was um, showing at the Japanese office where they have the chairs, their, their chairs turn into little beds and they all like on a lunchtime, they power all nap. have like 45 minute power nap. Like that is amazing because I would do that if I got given the chance to that. I'd just be so much more productive in an afternoon. If I could just have half an hour, 45 minutes, then I sure continue, <laughs> yeah, just continue on again as, as normal. Um, so what, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? um so I think I've had that mentality if you can't beat them join them so my youngest is um a really good cricketer as well as a footballer um and taking him to cricket every week during the summer I got sucked into the uh, ladies softball cricket team um so I've been playing with them for a couple of years not sure why because my bowling's a bit erratic I can't catch um and I can't bat very well so I think I'm just a Prosecco afterwards to be honest but um yeah no it's great to sort of like in your 40s start a new uh skill that you never thought you'd do and especially as a female at you know who went to state schools you didn't really get a chance to play cricket when you were younger so yeah it's great that I've got into that and and enjoyed that with a group of ladies who very much like-minded love the Prosecco after the, the cricket wow, sounds, so, like, sounds, perfect. <laughs> sounds absolutely perfect and did, did I say on your bio somewhere something about junior crystal maze oh my word yeah so I was on the first ever children's crystal maze back in 1990 wow so you might do i mean you might be familiar with michael underwood who's yes. now a tv presenter mm-hmm. so yeah. he was on there as well so wow. i was on there with michael underwood mm-hmm. um and another uh like four others four or five others but yeah with richard o'brien we uh went round the crystal maze that would have been an absolute dream for me back then <laughs> it was it was the pivot you know the the pinnacle along with gladiators oh, crystal yeah. maze and gladiators were the, the things that you kind of lived for on a weekend <laughs> I would have loved that. How how did you actually get involved in doing that? Uh, so there was, um, again, being a morning person up about six o'clock when I was 10, there's a, there was a competition on the early bird show. So mm-hmm. I think a Channel 4 breakfast programme back then. Um, and my mum and dad got up later that morning and said, I want to go on the Crystal Maze. I want and this competition they went yeah yeah that's fine so <laughs> my sister actually helped me um answer the questions I think there were three questions one involved uh the Rocky Horror Show and Richard O'Brien so she helped me answer them posted it off got called for an interview um um again my parents were both full-time teachers they were like yeah yeah we'll find someone to take you to the interview yeah yeah you can go along so I went along to a hotel in Bristol um did an interview didn't think much of it and then uh, got the call. My parents got the call one day and said, your daughter's been selected. Can you bring wow. her to a filming weekend? And they they film it in a massive aircraft hangar at that time uh, down, I think it was London Way somewhere. And yeah, spent a whole weekend filming the Crystal Maze. But it hey, does kind of shatter the school, illusion of the you? actual game. <laughs> yeah. Sorry? But you, but popular you at be, school. Yeah. Popular yeah. <laughs> 
I said even before we started recording that I can't tell that your accent is from Bristol. Have you? Have you all? Were you born and bred in Bristol? I was born and bred in Bristol, but my dad was an English teacher, so um, we were never allowed to. We were not about what we do, and <laughs> so yeah, um, I I try my best, um, but after a few drinks, um, the West Country accent does come out. So mm-hmm. I'm the same with them. Um, I've got a very broad Yorkshire accent. I was I was born in I was born in um, in West Yorkshire, and I lived there till I was sixteen. So when I moved up to Darlington, um, I had a very, very broad Yorkshire accent, even to the point where that I studied English. I studied English language and they used to use me as the guinea pig for, for examples of regional dialect. Oh, yeah. Then I moved to university in Coventry. So I ended up having a, a kind of a Yorkshire rummy accent. So it depends on who I'm with as to who, to what accent nice little out. cocktail mm-hmm. exactly so yorkshire yeah darlington and um coventry brummy accent it's a bit of a mix and that's the same if i when i have a couple of drinks it's the same the yorkshire accent comes out a little bit and it depends on who i'm speaking to as well well it comes out yeah definitely <laughs> so interesting so interesting so um, let's go into the quick fire round then, because we've heard a little bit about you. So um, okay. it's always a bit of a tradition in the end of the show. So um, sunbathing or skiing? Uh, definitely sunbathing. Um, I'm not very good at skiing. And um, I think I'm a little bit of a reptile at heart. So definitely <laughs> sunbathing. Okay. And um, beer or wine? Uh, I've tried them all. Uh, definitely wine. <laughs> So is that all all wine and beer or just all wine? Uh, all wine and beer. Beer and wine <laughs> makes you feel fine. Wine and beer makes you feel clear. So, yeah, I have tried both combinations <laughs> at the same time, but no, definitely yeah. wine. <laughs> and you, do, you, do you like the sparkling wine or do you, are you a dry, dry, sweet wine person? Uh, it depends what mood I'm in. Depends what I'm eating. Okay. So, um, and again, any any wine really. A wine uh, connoisseur. Oh, I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, any donations? Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And what um what flooring have you got at home? So we've got a, a real mix. Um, obviously, I love the carpets, but we do have some, you know, like stone type tiles in the kitchen. I think my favourite in the house is we moved in um, just over a year ago now, and there was quite an old carpet on the stairs. So I immediately wanted to rip that out, um, but I found these beautiful um, wooden stairs underneath so produced a fantastic little runner and um, that really accentuates the lovely the wood underneath but also got a touch of my carpet on there as well <laughs> lovely sounds nice and if you um won 10 million pounds today on the lottery what are the first three things that you would spend it on uh it's got to be items for the house which has become a little bit of a money pit um Obviously, a lovely sunny holiday for me and the kids, um, and there and and husband better take him as well. <laughs> um, and hmm, I don't know, probably probably something boring. Put the money aside, uh, you know, for the Best kids it. as they're growing up. So I think they're going to have a tough time getting on the the housing ladder and things like that. So no, yeah, put some money. 
it does worry me that as well, to be honest. I'm thinking what is going to happen to them in a few years' time when they're trying to buy their own homes. But we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. And hopefully they may not yeah. be home. That's it. They stay and look after us and then <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can just have a bedroom downstairs and they can just fend for us like we have done for them for the last 18 years. That would be perfect. Oh, we can dream on. <laughs> just drink wine. Yeah, that sounds great. Does, doesn't it? And last question. What is the one what's the best advice that you've ever received? Uh, I think value yourself and value what you do. Obviously, take constructive criticism, um, but um, be your own champion, um, making sure that, as I say, don't let people put you down and just keep keep striving to achieve what you want to achieve, really. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a really nice message. Really nice message. Thank you for that. And um, Well, thank you very much coming on the podcast it's been really great to get to know you and understand and get your marketeers head on on as well i know that um (laughs) i'm sure everybody would be really appreciative of uh, answering those questions as well um, and learning a bit more about danflow so um just to finish off then how can people find you and what's the best way to get in touch with danflow uh, so you can find us via our website at stanfloor.co.uk um, or we are on LinkedIn, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. <laughs> so yeah, just, just search Stanfloor UK Limited and uh, we'll pop up. So Wonderful. yeah, that's awesome. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, thank you again for, for coming on the show today. If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is cockerellandco, and also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and we look forward to seeing you here again soon.